like pain. Like, yeah, suppressing pain or suppressing any kind of symptom. You know, the arising yeah. of a symptom is, is the reflection of something that's trying to express in order to uh, a, a, a attain a return to greater vitality mm -hmm. uh, or balance or, or whatever you want to call it. And um, mostly what we do is we just suppress that or micromanage it. Dear listeners, Thanks for tuning into this edition of Grass Journal titled Coming Into Contact with Ourselves. In this interview, I talk with Bo Vandendolder. He is a doctor of classical Chinese medicine, licensed acupuncturist, and Alexander Technique practitioner. He is also a dear friend, though I've seen him only sporadically over the five years we've known each other. He and I have one of those rare connections that seems to not rely on having to see each other that much. I've only had a handful of friendships in my life like this one, and, I, and so I'm really glad to have him on the podcast to talk about his view of wilderness, medicine, and getting off the trail of life. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Because the heart of this podcast is kind of like the exploration or trying to understand wilderness and what wilderness yeah. means. Um, I don't know if I really explained that to you before, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of a huge topic. And I think it's like a wilderness is a federally designated like rule in the United States, but I think it also means a lot more, like that word. And yeah. so I brought you on today because I think that you have a pretty unique relationship with what I would consider wilderness and mm. with the quote-unquote natural world, which... I put it in quotes because it's like people always describe the natural world as outside of us, but obviously that's not really how it is. And I think that you probably have some views on that too, right? <laughs> I do. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's good we're starting off on the same basic premise. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that we both agree there. Um, no, we don't need to argue over that. <laughs> um, so how would you... How would you personally define wilderness? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, to me that, that I would say that that concept is, is purely internal, really. I mean, there's wilderness in the sense of place um, and wild places, but... Um, you know, I think that's it's really entirely rooted in our relationship to kind of an internal state or an internal space. Um, and certainly being in wild places uh, can, I think, evoke this, this kind of interior wilderness, but, um, but I think that depends on the person and depends on the relationship. You know, I mean, as we can see, for example, uh, you know, the the kind of modern cultural phenomenon of people, uh, you know, Instagramming their nature experiences and stuff like that, um, kind of commodifying place. Um, I mean, there's there's such a culture that's built up around kind of fetishizing nature, I think, right. and uh, 
Yeah, and I think it's not that. <laughs> yeah. <it's... laughs> you know, and, and, and in a way, I feel like wilderness is, is a lot more of a, an absence of a lot of things than a, a sort of definable thing. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's mysterious. It's, it's, it's unknown. It's, um, you know, it's, it's where we go kind of beyond concepts. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so you're saying that it's like an internal thing. So do you think that that's like a perspective that you have or a, a perspective a person can hold? Or, or just like, are you talking more on the, the level of um, someone's experience of something or... Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think that those are the kind of the same thing in a way, a sort of perspective and the the kind of um, actual experience, the experiential, um, you know, reality for somebody. Um, yeah. Cool. Like like I say, you know, I think it's it's a it's a relationship, but it's a relationship to one's relationship to the unknown. Yeah. You know, do we do we actually go there? <laughs> okay. Yeah. I can totally see that. I mean, that's what yeah. makes it compelling, right? Is when you go for right. me, I mean, trails Let's just talk about hiking for a second. Like I I think yeah. that you and I both kind of crave this type of landscape, a type of landscape where yeah, you come in on a trail or something, but as soon as you get to a spot where the trail isn't necessary anymore at least mm. for me i leave <laughs> I, I get off of it yeah i don't yeah. know if you if you do that or if you think of it that way but it's that kind of mysterious not trot not treading the same path that someone else designed because that's essentially what a trail is you know if it's made by mm. people you're following this predetermined route right. that somebody else determined to be quote-unquote good right and it's actually yeah pretty deeply metaphorical to like get off of that absolutely and and do you do that i mean i remember you telling me like you wander in the eastern like central oregon deserts for example or or the Mm -hmm. sagebrush uplands of like the tea valley or you know Mm -hmm. yeah well yeah i mean that's my that's kind of my favorite you know is is places spaces that are uh, fairly easily wanderable. I mean, you know, I, um, I get lost relatively frequently, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, I, I appreciate landscapes where it's, you know, that's not so much, uh, uh, an issue, um, where, you know, you can, you can wander in a way that, um, you know, you can still kind of track where you are. Um, but yeah, I, I, I appreciate that metaphor, um, mm-hmm. because I feel like in other spheres of life, um, that there's no, there's no way around that kind of, um, going, you know, you can sort of start on the trail of something and it, it kind of gives you the, maybe a general picture um, or a general orientation, um, 
but you're never going to, you know, let's say, en enter the wilderness, so to speak, um, really on the trail. <laughs> ha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't really, you're not really in the wilderness if you're on a trail. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, that is so true. Okay. That is awesome. Um, I just feel that so much. I mean, the places that I have gone personally, like, that haven't been involving trails, um, like the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem is a really mm. good one. Um, mm -hmm. Just so much land and so much open space and so much easy navigation because it's kind of a basin range type of geography with mm -hmm. wide ridges and big meadows and valleys and stuff. Yeah. Um, and like, for example, I was there earlier this summer and, um, we were trying to go up to a lake that was at like 12 or 10,000 feet. And of course it was snowbound in June cause it was a really heavy snow year. So yeah. we turned around and just basically went back down this ridge and found this lake this little pond and the first thing we did was like to get completely off the trail like i don't know a quarter mile at least yeah through this sagebrush area mixed with lodgepole pines and uh, we found a really good camp spot in this copse of pines that was kind of protected from the wind and um then we just wandered around that little pond for a while and i found this grove of limber pine trees that probably it at least 500 years old without a question was the oldest one maybe closer to a thousand yeah and there was no trail there in fact there was no designation there was nothing like there was nothing saying like this is these trees mm. are a thousand years old look at them you know in the redwoods you go right. there and there's all these markers that tell you the names of the trees and yeah but there's stuff like that when you get off the trail you realize that that's everywhere around you yeah it's not yeah. confined to a relic like in a national park. It's actually the entire earth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, it's really kind of profound the degree to which, you know, socially we, we operate under this sense of, uh, you know, being separate from our environment, from nature. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of cliche to say in a way, but it's it's really uh thorough the separation yeah, yeah yeah that yeah that you know nature or wilderness is something um something we you know live in relationship to and are not really part of yeah um well and to kind of move on from that perspective why do you go outside what what takes you outdoors like out, out out from cities out from buildings out from your car and stuff probably cars and buildings and cities <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah nice you know I mean, our yeah i mean i think our, our just our environment our modern environment is so um kind of degrading to our our natures you know um aesthetically uh, uh 
in terms of health, in terms of well-being, in terms of um, also, you know, separating ourselves from our environment, protecting ourselves from our environment, keeping our environment away from us. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I, frankly, I, I just don't feel quite human <laughs> if I don't spend enough mm -hmm. time outside. Um, and not just outside, but like oh, away from cars and cities. Right. Um, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, Same. you know, uh, culturally we're becoming less human. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and, and so and, to go yeah, outside go is to reaffirm that humanity. Absolutely. And, and, and it's just. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I feel like the veils or the, the layers of, of society, maybe it's not even the human realm. Maybe it's the constructed realm that I really struggle with mm -hmm. living in towns and dealing with all the rules. I mean, like I said a couple of days ago or a week ago, when I talked to you, in order to go for a walk here, I have to trespass like right. three or four different times. And then right. my entire, the entirety of my walk is on public land that I technically don't, or not public, private land that I technically don't have permission to walk on, but it's just like understood that people walk there. So, you, you know, nobody's, nobody's going to call the sheriff on you because nobody even really, nobody lives there. It's just timberland. So yeah, it's just like, how, how did it come to this? Like, how did it come to... <laughs> our basic ambulatory motion of walking being like disallowed because like I was saying, it, it takes me so long to get up into that place. And when I, mm. the one way I go is down this gravel road and I, I told you this before, but just for the listeners, like, Oh man, there's an excavator pulling out of the, <laughs> um, I'm going to pause the recording for a second. The excavator has gone by. <laughs> okay. Um, it's blue in color. <laughs> <laughs> And it's very slowly traveling down the road. Anyway, um, so as I was saying, it's traveling down a gravel road that connects to another gravel road that I often walk on to go to private land through to trespassing yeah. through several people's properties. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when I walk down the gravel road, almost inevitably a car drives by me. And the look on the people's faces in the car is, what the f are you doing walking on this road every time? Right. <laughs> Which is like... Oh, excuse me for being human. <laughs> excuse me for not driving. Like, so I really feel that, like that constricted nature of, of human society pressing down from all yeah. sides, making it sometimes literally illegal to walk places. Yes. So, yeah, getting outside away from that is like, it's like a sense of freedom, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, right? The simplest thing. Right. I have another question for you. Yeah. Um, specifically about your medicine and, like, the modalities of medicine that you practice. Mm -hmm. And if you could just tell about how you got into being a Chinese medicine practitioner, classical Chinese medicine, I think. Yes. 
Um, boy, well, that's, yeah, I mean, there's a long story there, I guess, you know, just in terms of my my background and my experiences um, just I, with personal health issues and, you know, but in, in short, I would, I would say that I really grew up in a... Um, in an environment and a culture that uh, just made no sense to me <laughs> on any level. And, um, and I kind of entering my adulthood or, or sort of late teens, early 20s, you know, I had a lot of health issues as a result of the kind of food that I grew up on and, and um, environmental exposures and stuff like that. And, um, and I started to get into uh, practices like meditation and yoga, and, and that led me to, um, you know, really looking more critically at my diet and lifestyle stuff, and ultimately working with, you know, some naturopaths and, um, and you know, I didn't have any experience of Chinese medicine until pretty close to the time that I finally decided to actually go to graduate school and get a degree in it. <laughs> um, and that was, uh, my experience with Chinese medicine was so uh, life-changing, you know, really, um, genuinely that, um, and just so different from even what I'd experienced of, of kind of naturopathic, or what we you know, might say more generally natural medicine or holistic medicine or whatever, but um, yeah, Chinese herbs and acupuncture um, really made a huge impact on health issues that I'd experienced for like pretty much my entire life. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and it you know I think any change in health in that kind of way necessarily goes with a change in worldview. I mean, I don't think those things happen independently. Um, you know, our our understanding of our relationship to our environment, for example, um, changes when our health changes, or our health changes when our <laughs> understanding of our relationship relationship to our environment changes. Um, and you know, I, I when I dis, before I decided to really commit to going to graduate school, I kind of had a a little window of time where I really thought about, well, what do I want to study? You know, I mean, I could become a naturopathic doctor. I could or I could study Chinese medicine. I mean, there's various routes to go in the realm of healing or mm -hmm. natural medicine. Right. And um, ultimately, I chose to study Chinese medicine because I, I didn't really... I, I felt like there was a, a, a very fundamentally different worldview. Fundamentally different worldview? Yeah, you know, that, that's, that's kind of at the basis of Chinese medicine, at least in the classical sense. I would say nowadays the majority of even Chinese medicine practitioners practice from an allopathic perspective. Um, yeah. And this gets into, it gets into a kind of a deeper uh, thing for me in the sense that the way that we relate to the environment, the way that we try to, for example, control the environment in both overtly devastating and harmful ways, as well as, you know... It, supposed kind of environmental practices um, tend to be suppressive right. in nature, right? Um, we, we try to suppress problems like... Um, like pain. 
Like, yeah, suppressing pain or suppressing any kind of symptom. You know, the arising yeah. of a symptom is, is the reflection of something that's trying to express in order to uh, a, a, a attain a return to greater vitality mm -hmm. uh, or balance or, or whatever you want to call it. And um, mostly what we do is we just suppress that or micromanage it. And, um, you know, so my, my understanding of medicine is really, I, I would say, more of an ecological view. Right. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, um, for example, trying to help things express in a way that's actually beneficial as opposed to suppressing things. Um, and like looking at, you know, human physiology is it really no different than um, what we see, you know, in, in the natural world. Um, <laughs> there's nothing really different going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the so in like, general, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, like with mycelium and stuff like that, are you thinking like, connect like our ner nervous systems are similar to how trees communicate through mycelium and stuff or oh sure i mean that's yeah sure certainly that would be an example okay yeah um but i mean like the water cycle <laughs> you know right oh yeah um, you know photosynthesis uh, uh thermodynamics um, um you know it's the change of seasons um, right. Cyclical time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And of course, Chinese medicine is really uh, rooted in a worldview that has a very nuanced kind of picture and understanding of um, cyclical time and the, the kind of seasonal changing of seasons and the, uh, the gesture of each season and how that is, you know, uh, plays out in human physiology and, 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 and yeah. so on. Yeah. Huh. That's, I, I feel like, I think I said or wrote recently that one of my, one, something I could do is be in a beautiful place and just watch the seasons change for the rest of mm. my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and just experiencing the seasonal changes, the different weather and, mm really just living in that cyclical calendar or yeah 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 well you know and that's that makes me think of something that i've been thinking a lot about this last year and i would say more generally is a sort of personal kind of orientation but you know is is the recognition of beauty right in in medicine in in understanding health um you know what is beautiful <laughs> right what is beautiful in nature, you know, what do we, um, and, and why, why don't we view medicine that way? Why, why don't we seek to view the human body that way or the human physiology that way? You know, we focus on, in, in, in the Western sort of modern sense, um, pathology. It's all pathology, you know. A lung is just a thing that gets certain lung diseases. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so pathology means like the diagnosis of problems. 
Right, yeah, sort of like pathologizing, right? We pathologize yeah. everything, you know? Everything is meant to be seen as something that's wrong with the system, something. right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I, I just think that's the view that, you know, we start with uh, in looking at the world and looking at health and medicine. Um, right. Everything is pathology. Everything is pathologized. And... Um, you know, in other words, how, you know, how would, in relation to beauty, how would we treat a person with a health condition, you know, in a similar way that we might, you know, treat our backyard with a, uh, an eye for beauty? Right. You know, or, or maybe, a, you know, or maybe with a more nuanced understanding of ecology or, or um gardening or permaculture or, or whatever. Um, That's it, really it interesting. It requires really kind of taking a broader view. <laughs> right. Stepping and, way back. Yeah. And pathologizing, you know, pathology sort of centrism is, is really to focus and narrow in on, okay, what's wrong with this? You know, what's the disease? What's, uh, and then what do we do with that? We try to kill it or purge it or suppress it or or whatever. Um, and so what happens when you do that? Well, what happens when you do that is it expresses in some more perverse way. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that becomes a lot harder to work with. Um, you know, we even pathologize like death as if death is like some awful thing. Yeah. Just like Eisenstein was saying in his um, mm. coronation, which I just mm -hmm. got the the mm -hmm. pun of that <laughs> uh -huh. coronation yeah. you know to make a king but then coronation corona nation coronavirus yeah. nation yeah um that really well put essay he was saying that yeah death is if we can control death if we can control it as as a western allopathic based med medical society then we have conquered life Mm -hmm. that's the perspective right if we can yeah prolong life as long as possible or even indefinitely that's like the ultimate goal for some people right which yeah and, and what would that look like you know i mean where where is the beauty <laughs> right in, in that vision uh, and yeah and i find yeah. it so strange too because people like steve jobs and this is just like a really tacky quote but he said death is life's best invention hmm. <laughs> Mm, yeah. um, but yeah. it's so weird how Silicon Valley has now shifted to trying to there's multiple startups trying to research on how to make people live forever right so like and personal optimization and like how to be more productive and all these different almost it's like it's not towards beauty it's towards yeah. productivity and utilitarianism yeah and so yeah. how did that place that got infused first with Eastern philosophy, it's almost like it's, it's similar to China, right? Because the, the Chi Chinese medicine came obviously from China, but China is obviously the most toxically capitalist nation in the world now, arguably. Yeah. yeah. So I've always wondered how did that happen? I remember one time I was on a, on a roof and I was like in this attic I used to live in, there was a flat little patio not really a patio, it was like the roof of another 
section of the house that I went out a window onto and I always sat on it. I looked at the sky one day and I was like looking at the clouds coming and going is in Nebraska in the Midwest. So there's massive thunderstorms and updrafts and those huge Mm. puffy clouds, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can just watch them for hours because they're constantly growing and changing. And, um, and then I looked at the houses around me and I thought, how did we get from a cloud to these square framed flat roofed asphalt tarred houses Mm -hmm. and i still haven't figured out how we got from that place so essentially how do we get from wilderness to like this absolute mentality of control yeah yeah well you know to bring in kind of a a chinese uh you know, a kind of classical Chinese uh, medical concept. Um, when you have, you, you know, you have growth and decay as, as just inherent in all natural cycles. I mean, that, that's, things grow and, and then they decay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the growth comes out of the decay. And the decay comes as a result of the growth. And when, when there's, you know, unchecked growth, you have, um, you get real issues, <laughs> um, you know, and, and you could obviously, capitalism is a model of that, um, but, but, you know, even like a pathology like cancer, you know, I mean, that's um, unchecked growth in a, in right. a really uh, general sense, but like, um, a, a, as is plastic, as is the kind of roofing materials we use as are the kind of clothing we wear it's uh there's a concept in chinese medicine called xia qi qi being like energy but um uh which is a bad translation because it's a a process not a thing um but um xia meaning like perverse or or uh, uh, pernicious or or uh you could say pathological right mm-hmm. so it's when we have unchecked growth um, there's a kind of toxic and hardened, congealed kind of chi that, that develops out of that. You know, right. it, in other words, there's not a natural decay. Like, for example, how long does it take for the earth to metabolize plastic or styrofoam or, or the things that we produce as products of unchecked growth? Right. You know, so even those things, even those things are natural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's it's a natural outcome of the speed of growth. Right. Um, but yeah, but you know, I think we we have a sort of culture and governance which just promotes that endlessly. Yeah, it does. It's yeah. it promotes that as the the way to live. Yeah. And I think something that's really this is obviously a very layman's understanding of how. Um, of like oncology cancer research but I have read um, that cancer is starts to manifest when the cells in one's body that become cancerous um, no longer communicate with the rest of the body's cells it's right it's, it's like they're isolated right yeah, like they set up their own government within an existing government, you know, and yeah. Yeah, 
And that's profound to me because I feel like really we do live in this age of isolation. Yeah. And this pandemic is currently making it worse. Yeah. And I think that inevitably the external effects of a person's life, the external realities of their life manifest internally. It's Right. And so this isolation that so many feel obviously is manifesting internally and it's manifesting maybe as cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we come into contact with how many billions and billions and I mean, hundreds of billions of viruses every day. I mean, they're, they're in us, they're on us, they're, um, you know, uh, but the, the way that we approach um, fighting it, which is basically to obliterate our microbiomes, mm-hmm. um, you know, both in terms of our, our interior environments as well as our internal environments. I mean, meaning our like, you know, our living environments, our working environments, as well as our guts and our, our gut flora. But um, you know, sanitizing like crazy, right. and then trying to sort of protect ourselves from uh, exposure. Um, you know, I mean, of course, this, this really uh, harkens back to the argument between germ theory and terrain theory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, is the pathogen the problem, or is it the t- terrain that is... That's giving uh, birth to it. Yeah, right, right, that sort of has a susceptibility or vulnerability or, or an imbalance that... Um, you know, kind of leads towards the expression of actual illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think we've, as a culture, we've been decidedly in the uh, germ theory uh, warfare right. camp. And, um, and, and we do it on, like I say, in every sphere of life, you know, whether it's agriculture, uh, um, managing the environment, uh, medicine, uh, economics <laughs> right um, you know yeah it's it's society-wide cultural-wide because that's the basis that we view the world that's the lens we view the world through exactly yeah our, our fundamental orientation is askew right and so <laughs> it's, yeah and yeah um and so just to bring this all back into a full circle it's like so yeah. going off the trail into a wilderness hmm. is is kind of a profound act of protest in these days in my I opinion. think so I think so it's like an activism it's basically saying it's basically eschewing like all these these lenses that we just discussed that are telling you you know this straight and narrow the optimized way the the efficient way the way that everyone tells you to go the way that's like the quickest I don't know, <laughs> or yeah. the way that's basically based on curiosity and beauty and, and larger belonging. Yeah, well, it's reclaiming our humanity, right? I mean, yeah. how is that? It's so odd that that's like the fun, the most, in my mind, the deepest form of protest is just to sort of walk away into the unknown. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, find our humanity again. Um, yeah. You know. 
It's like Lao Tzu. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Disappearing into the West. Right. Um, Leaving the Western Gate. Just Yeah. That's yeah, that's pretty profound. Um Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> I I just think that that starting point though, that point of inquiry, that point of curiosity is somehow wild in in and of itself. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. W- like with a child, I think the thing that I feel so grateful to have held on to and been encouraged through by my parents to do to yeah. have is curiosity. Yeah. And just asking questions and finding yeah. my own way, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, without that, we don't have a starting point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have two more questions for you, and then I want to read a poem (laughs) from Gary Snyder, one of my favorites. You probably read it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, um... My question, do you think wilderness is generous? Hmm. Or is that just an overlay of a human, of a, of a thought-based intellectual concept on something that is neither... No, yeah, I I hear what you're saying, yeah. I mean, I think we, we obviously have the tendency to to do that, mm-hmm. anthropomorphize, but, um, but I, I do think wilderness is generous in the sense that, you know, I, 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 in the sense of it's, incompre- it's, it's incomprehensible, the vastness, the, the depth, the mystery, the, um, the darkness, the unknown, like, it's so immense and permanently, you know, in in the deepest sense, permanently and constantly available. Right. You know that. I mean, yeah. that's beyond that's beyond generosity, beyond the concept of generosity. Right. Um, um, Yeah. yeah, it is. It's it's more than generous. Right. It's Generosity like, with no limit. Yeah. And that's how I've always felt. I mean, I think I've saved myself many times by just walking into the woods mm. when I can't handle something or mm-hmm. need to... And I always, I'm always suspicious. I'm like no, that's not going to help, or I'm just going to sit in here and wallow. And then mm. there's something that's like, no, just you just start, start walking, get out there. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the time I come back, I feel so much better every single time. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, maybe that's just my relationship with it that's unique, but... I, I, I think everybody's neurotic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, um, going outside, go, being in nature, you know, 
uh, however you want to say it, it, it just makes us less neurotic. Yeah. It really does. It's like, <laughs> I was just telling Anna, like, it's so, dealing with people is really hard because there's so many little intricacies inside of the human mind that are hidden, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even in direct face-to-face -face communication. Mm -hmm. And there's this, there's this poem um, by Hans Borley. He's a Norwegian poet, and uh, I can't remember the whole thing. Um, but basically he says he was a, he was a Norwegian lumberjack by day. Here it is. I think I found it. Um, uh, maybe I didn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to Google in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> not that um, intelligent but yeah he basically wrote this poem that was like talking about how the warmth of a wood fire is one of the last things in life oh here we go I found it Nice. so by Hans Borley the scent of fresh wood is among the last things you will forget when the veil falls. Hmm. The scent of fresh white wood in the spring sap time, as though life itself walked by you with dew in its hair. Hmm. That sweet and naked smell, kneeling woman soft and blonde in the silence inside you, using your bones for a willow flute. Hmm. With the hard frost beneath your tongue, you look for fire to light a word and know mild as a southern wind in the mind there is still one thing in the world you can trust wow damn <laughs> yeah there you have it yeah i mean that's that's perfectly it i mean maybe i don't even yeah. need to read the other poem it's it's a good <laughs> one though <laughs> i should read that too um but yeah, one thing in the world you can trust. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah, and that's yeah. why we have to fight like hell to save it from the bastards. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. Or from those who are viewing the world through the wrong lens. Yes. Yeah, just take off the glasses, buddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, go drink some plum wine in the woods. I hear that's an ancient... <laughs> You're right. Isn't that an ancient remedy? <laughs> yes, it is. Plum wine, lots of tea, and like a hut. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Tea does well, too, okay. as an antidote. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so this is the one I want to end it with, and then I'll ask you one more question. But it's called Off yeah. the Trail, which is very mm, makes nice. a lot of sense, you know, Gary <laughs> yeah. Snyder. Yeah, we are free to find our own way over rocks, through the trees, where there are no trails. The ridge and the forest present themselves to our eyes and feet, which decide for themselves. 
in their old learned wisdom of doing where the wild will take us. We have been here before. It's more intimate somehow than walking the paths that lay out some route that you stick to. All paths are possible. Many will work. Being blocked is its own kind of pleasure. Getting through is a joy. The side trips and detours show down logs and flowers. The deer paths straight up the squirrel tracks across the outcroppings lead us on over. Resting on tree trunks, stepping out on the bedrock, angling and eyeing, both making choices, now parting our ways, and later rejoin, I'm right, you're right, we come out together. Matake, pine mushroom, heaves at the base of the stump, the dense matted floor of red fir needles and twigs, this is wild, we laugh, wild for sure, because no place is more than another, all places total, and our ankles, knees, shoulders, and haunches know right where they are. Mm. Recall how the Tao Te Ching puts it. The trail's not the way. No path will get you there. We're off the trail, you and I, and we chose it. Our trips out of doors through the years have been practice for this ramble together, deep mm. in the mountains, side by side, over the rocks, through the trees. Hmm. Yeah. Well put, I'd say. I would say so. <laughs> hmm. Um, yeah. So my last question is, is there any practice you'd recommend to someone listening to this that's been helpful for you lately besides wandering in the woods and getting lost <laughs> <laughs> well you know I think just to kind of circle back to what we kind of where we started um, I, I think that it's you know it's really important to to discover one's own um, relationship you know to um, to the mystery to the unknown to wilderness to um, you know to 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 develop a kind of Curiosity, uh, a contemplation, a, a deep kind of form, a meaningful form of inquiry. Um, anyways, I've been thinking about this just in, in the way of I've had a, uh, as you know, kind of background in some, uh, at least a couple traditions and, and training in within traditions, mm -hmm. and um, but. Yeah, I, I find myself lately really just really trying to cultivate that curiosity and that um, inquiry and um, solitude. You know, I think that is another sort of piece of wilderness that um, 
maybe we didn't touch on explicitly, but, um, you know, to really be alone. Not in the sense of alone with the kind of baggage we tie to it, like being lonely or being, you know, alone in a way that we're afraid of, but just to really come into contact with um, ourselves in that really deeply deep solitude. Um, so, to answer your question, no, I don't have a practice I'd recommend. Because, um, <laughs> in a way, I think that 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 isn't a specific practice, or uh, you know, um, yeah. lots of practices can can lead there, but um, but it has to be such a deeply personal. Uh, curiosity and motivation, you know? Right. To, to really contact ourselves in that way. Yeah. Without a doubt, that's... Yeah. Get up early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, don't go online. <laughs> yeah. Make some tea. Yeah. You know tune in and maybe observe the weather yeah yeah observe something I, I i've been saying lately feed the birds like i told you yeah. last time we talked yeah yeah just feed some birds outside your window just go get a sack of bird seed get a a board and just yeah. put the you don't need a feeder just put the right. seed on the board and yeah there you go yeah, and put it by some bushes, some brush where they, they can kind of flit in and out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and, and then your, to your point about solitude, I mean, that's where I have really encountered the most terrifying and most gratifying experiences mm. personally, yeah. especially mm -hmm. camping alone in the woods far from a trail mm -hmm. just feeling terrified and then waking up in the morning and feeling at home it's quite the uh, yeah. emotional <laughs> yeah roller coaster right. <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly um yeah well thanks for your time Thank, Thank you, you so Hudson. much. Yeah. yeah, I really feel like you're a a good mentor to me, being a little oh. older and stuff. And well, uh, that that goes both ways. Yeah, you yeah. you you watch me to learn what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I I think you might have the upper hand on that. But... <laughs>